Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship of our triune God. A special welcome to any visitors and guests who have joined us today, including via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may God be praised by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Sandra Ramaka, formerly from the Reformed Church restored in Marienburg, the Netherlands, has requested membership of the Free Reformed Church of Southern River. If no lawful objections are brought forward to consistory by the 23rd of July, Sandra will be welcomed as a member as of that date. Reverend Poppy will have two weeks holidays as from tomorrow. Anyone in need of pastoral care uh, is requested to contact their elder or deacon. You are all reminded that coffee and refreshments will be served after the worship service and everyone is welcome to attend. Uh, and you're also informed that the collection this afternoon uh, will be for the Ministry of Mercy, uh, not for needy students as mentioned on the liturgy sheet. This morning the worship service will be led by Brother Dathan Plater. And before we commence the worship service, let us sing together Psalm 84, verses 1 and 5. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, 
please rise and let us worship the Lord. As we come to worship our God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this morning, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now praise God with the words of Psalm 116, verse 1 and 8. As we now submit our hearts and lives to the ten words of God's covenant law, let us remember that God founded his covenant according to his redeeming grace, delivering his people out of Egypt, and that was a foreshadowing of our great deliverance from sin. And also that as we see our own sinfulness in light of his commandments, that we remember that he sustains his covenant by his sustaining grace, his forgiving grace. So let us now hear the ten words of God's covenant laws that comes to us from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed 
the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In response to God's law, let's now sing Psalm 116, verse 2 and 9. It just mentions 9 on the liturgy, but let's sing together 2 and 9. Let's now come before God and, and pray and ask for his blessing on this worship service. Dear God and Heavenly Father, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed them, from everlasting into everlasting, you are God. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hand. They shall perish, but you will remain. They shall wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. They will pass away. But you stay the same. And your years have no end. You are our great eternal God. Great in might, great in splendor. Your throne is decked in righteousness and justice. And your holiness shines like the sun. Father, you are an awesome God. And Father, we acknowledge that in and of ourselves, we have no right to come before you. We acknowledge that there is no grounds for us to confidently draw near to your majesty and draw near your majesty, to your awesomeness. For Lord, we acknowledge that our sin presents a barrier from us dwelling with you in, in total perfection. We acknowledge that our sins are many. And Lord, part of our sinfulness is the fact that sometimes we're even blind to the depth of our sin. We're ignorant of just how really sinful we are. We may listen to the ten words of your covenant law and we hear certain commandments and we acknowledge that we're sinners according to those. 
because those are areas that we're, maybe we're focusing on, but then we fail to see how we sin against you in all the other areas. Father, we're so often blind, and so we turn to you in prayer. Lord, in your grace, you redeemed your people and rescued them from slavery, and you made a covenant with them, and you sustained them by forgiving them time and time again. And so, Lord, we look to you, who has redeemed us from our, our sin, and we look to you for forgiveness, that same grace, that you would forgive us in Jesus Christ. Lord, please wash us through, your blood, through the blood of Jesus, our Savior, and please renew a right spirit within us. Be with us as we open your word. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have also commanded. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, we pray all of these things. Amen. This morning, brothers and sisters, we'll have our, our final sermon on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And the text we'll be focusing on is those, those final instructions at the end, verse 12 through 28. That will be our text. And so in preparation for that, let's read together from um, 1 Thessalonians 5. So Paul has he's thanked God for the, the Thessalonians. He's spoken to them about his desire to be with them. And he's also called them to holiness in, in various areas. And then he speaks also of the, the coming of the Lord and the return of the Lord and how that's a comfort for God's people. And now he continues to talk about the day of the Lord and also its implication for, for holiness. So First Thessalonians 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, for, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live for him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And here comes our text. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks, to, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So far, in connection also with First Thessalonians 5, uh, let's open to our confessional documents from the Canons of Dort, chapter 5. This is a, uh, chapter 5 speaks about the perseverance of the saints. And so let's read together from Article 5 and also Article 8. I mean Article 3 and Article 8. And you will find that on page 582 and 583 of your book of praise. Article 5, the title is... I mean, Article 3, the title is, The Good God Preserves His Own. Because of these remnants of indwelling sin, and also because of the temptations of the world and of Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in that grace if left to their own strength. But God is faithful, who mercifully confirms them in the grace once conferred upon them, and powerfully preserves them in that grace to the end. And then Article 8, the grace of the triune God preserves. So it is not through their own merits or strength, but through the undeserved mercy of God that they neither totally fall away from faith and grace, nor remain in their downfall and are finally lost. With respect to themselves, this could not only easily happen, but would undoubtedly happen. But with respect to God, this cannot possibly happen since his counsel cannot be changed, his promise cannot fail, the calling according to his promise cannot be revoked, the merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ cannot be nullified, and the sealing of the Holy Spirit can neither be frustrated nor destroyed. Let's now sing from Psalm 121, verse 1, 2, and 4 about God's keeping and his preservation of his people.
Our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians 5, the verses 12 through 28, and we'll read those words together. 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In response to the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing from hymn 52, verses 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, no one is perfect. I'm sure many of us will readily accept that statement. You can just reflect on the the past week, or you can even reflect on what happened this morning, and the truth is very obvious. Yes, no one's perfect. We can acknowledge that. Now, no doubt, one of the reasons why maybe we say something like this is because it allows us to sort of excuse our sins and our failures, when, some, when we say things like this, we're not typically making a theological statement. We're not saying, like Paul, there is none righteous, no, not one, as he says in Romans 3, verse 10. We're not saying that apart from Christ, all our deeds are unholy and imperfect. That's not exactly what we mean when we say, well, no one's perfect. Rather, we typically say things like this to justify the things that we have done that are sinful. In a way, it cuts us some slack you know, in pursuing our holiness. It's sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card when someone challenges us about what we're doing. Well, hey, no one's perfect. Now, while no one is perfect, and the Bible certainly affirms that, the future of the Christian is indeed perfection. Not only that, but in light of the the coming perfection that God has in store for us, we are called as Christians to pursue uh, holiness, living living blamelessly before God. You see, in the last two chapters of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is focusing a lot on holiness and living blamelessly before God. Chapter 4, verse 3, he says that sanctification, being made holy, is the will of God for our lives. 
And in chapter 4, there he directs his, his attention on sexual relationships and chastity. And he also directs his attention on charity and living in generosity towards one another. But he doesn't stop there in his discussion of holiness. Paul's vision for holiness, it includes more than that. It's very comprehensive. His, his, view of, uh, his vision of holiness is that believers throughout their whole life live in holiness before God, that they become complete in every way. You could put it this way, his desire is that they be holy, with a W, holy, holy. And so looking to the faithfulness of God, Paul is calling the Thessalonians to live in holiness in every aspect of life as they wait for the return of Christ Jesus. And that brings us to our theme this morning, looking to your faithful God, live a holy, holy life until the return of Christ. And we'll look at two things. This holiness, this holy life requires your expansive obedience. And second, this holy life requires God's gracious faithfulness. So firstly, then, this holy life requires your expansive obedience. So our text this morning is somewhat of machine gun holiness, you could say, or staccato holiness. So earlier, the Apostle Paul, he's dealing with specific topics, and he deals with them in in great detail. But then as we get to the end of chapter 5, we get this flurry of instructions and commands. Do this, do this, do this, do this. There's something like 20, 20 commands in the space of 10 verses or so. And now the heading of our, of our section in, your, in our Bibles is final instruction and benediction. And that can give us the impression that what we're dealing with is sort of just a random list of commands that didn't really fit in the rest of the letter, but now as Paul is finishing, he just gives all these commands to his, his readers. As if in a way Paul is just doing a brain dump of any sort of commands that don't fit into a neat category and that have no connection to the rest of his letter. But that's not the case. You see, Paul's commands here, it's really a description of of sanctification, of what holiness looks like. And that description is closely connected to his encouragement about the day of the Lord, about the return of Christ. It's the return of Christ that gives us hope in the middle of our afflictions. It's the return of Christ, the coming of Christ, that spurs us on in holiness. So earlier in chapter 5, he alludes to the words of Jesus Christ, and he says, For you yourselves are fully aware, brothers, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then he sets up a contrast between what the unbelievers are doing and what believers do. The unbelievers, they pay no regard to the return of Christ. They say, peace, security. And they continue living, uh, living their life as they do. But then the return of Christ comes suddenly on them and unexpectedly. But Paul says, that's not how it is with you. You are children of the day. You are children of light. You know that Christ is coming in glory and in judgment. And so be sober-minded. Be watchful. Don't live like the unbelievers in unholiness. Live in holiness. Don't live like children of darkness, but live as children of the light. Pursue holiness. You see, it's easy to have, a false, to have a false sense of security, as if we have all the time in the world. Sometimes we can think that. 
We don't have to take our faith seriously because while we'll do that later on in life, then we'll get our our act together. And Paul says that's not the mindset of a Christian. That's the mindset of an unbeliever. If we use the words of 2 Peter 3, the unbeliever looks at the world and he says, Where is the promise of Christ's coming? For ever since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. They continue to live their life with no thought to Christ's return. But Paul says, the Christian, they're conscious of Christ's return, and as a child of God, they pursue holiness in every aspect. For example, we could think of, we can think of an Olympic runner. Just think of all the training, all the dieting, all the things that they do in order to win the race and train to win their Olympic title. See, everything that they do is motivated by what's coming in the future. It's motivated by the prize at the end. And you see, this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, this is how you live in light of the coming of Christ, the future coming of Christ. This is what it looks like. Here are all the commands. This is what it looks like to live in light of Christ's return. And congregation, if you look at all those different commands, notice how how comprehensive it is. The return of Christ, it doesn't just affect a certain part of our week. It doesn't just affect a certain part of our routines or our character. It affects everything and every relationship. It impacts, if we sort of divide our text, it impacts our relationship with those in leadership positions in the church. It affects our relationship with those in the congregation, our fellowship. And it impacts our relationship with God and our worship of God. And so let's look at his commands there in those groupings. So firstly then, the return of Christ affects our relationship with those in leadership positions in the church. So verse 12, 13, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So the Thessalonians are called to respect those who, one, labor among them, two, who are over them, and three, who admonish them. And all of those words, labor, being over someone and admonishing someone, those are words used elsewhere in Scripture for the office of elder, for those in leadership positions. So earlier, sorry, in, in 1 Timothy 5, 7, Paul speaks of the elder who labors in teaching and in preaching. And earlier, Paul uses the exact same phrase of laboring when he describes his ministry among the Thessalonians. It's his fear that something will happen and his labor will be in vain. So the the leadership of the church, they labor, they work hard for the spiritual well-being of the church. And then the other phrase, being over someone. Being over someone. That is the same word that is used in the list of qualifications for office, 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 to 5, it's, uh, Paul writes there, it's speaking about someone who's qualified for office, that he must manage, literally be over his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage or be over his own household, how will he manage, how will he care for God's church? 
How will he manage the household or be over the household of faith? And so it's the task of the leadership to be over the church by appointment of God. And as they have oversight over the congregation, they admonish, they warn, they rebuke, they instruct. And the key part of it, all of that is done in the Lord. Those who are over you in the Lord. This is not something they do in and of themselves because of that they have self-appointed themselves to that task. It's because their appointment is from God. They have a God-ordained task. And so they serve in the Lord, that is, with authority from the Lord. And they serve in the Lord, that is, with dependence on the Lord. And now, given that task that the elders and deacons and those in leadership have, Paul says the calling of the congregation in relation to these leaders is to respect them very highly. And that phrase to esteem them very highly. It's speaking of the highest possible degree of respect. You esteem them very highly. You respect them because they are are under shepherds of Christ's church. And if that is the spirit that is in the congregation, then there's going to be much peace between the leaders and the congregation. They're going to be able to work well. Now, brothers and sisters, how do you regard your elders and deacons? How do, you, how do you talk about them? How do you talk about them when you're at home with your kids? Do you, do you respect them because of their task? Or do you respect them only if you get along with them or if you agree with their advice or if you appreciate what they're doing? You see, Paul's vision for holiness is that we live in holiness in the relationship that we have with the leadership. That we respect them because of their work. Because they have a God-ordained task to care for you. And so living in light of Christ's imminent return, it means that we regard those who are under shepherds of Christ's church with high esteem. And we do so to the highest degree. And then we see his, his attention moves to the fellowship and the congregation. And that's the next uh, group. So his instructions, it connects to our relationship with one another. So verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So Paul says when the congregation, when we as God's people are living in holiness, then our relationships will be characterized by by care and by compassion for one another. You see, in in every church, in this church, there are weak people, people who are weak in faith. And so his charge is to lift them up, to hold them up. And then there are those who are faint-hearted, And Paul's encouragement is encourage them. Encourage these people who are faint-hearted, who are struggling with anxieties, who are are crushed in spirit. And then there's others in the congregation who may be just difficult to get along with. They're hard to love. And so his call is to be patient with them. Be patient with them all. Paul says, care for people. 
That is how holiness shows itself in our relations with one another, by care and compassion for one another. And then not only does it include situations where people are struggling, people are weak, but also when people hurt us and disappoint us and sin against us. Verse 15, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Now just think of that for the Thessalonians. They were this church that has been greatly afflicted. They had been suffering from their fellow countrymen and from the, from the Jews in Thessalonica. They had been persecuted. As we saw last time, that they had even buried some of their dead because of persecution. Some of their own had died because of that. Now just imagine the bitterness, the anger that they would have in their hearts. And Paul says to them, don't repay evil for evil. But instead, seek to do good. And his word, seek, is very strong. It's actually used elsewhere for, for persecution, when people persecute others. And it comes to mean to seek after earnestly, to pursue earnestly. And so he says, instead of seeking any and every opportunity to retaliate, to act out in revenge, he says, seek any and every opportunity to do good. Not only to those in the congregation, but to everyone, he says. You see, that's what's going to show that you are a child of God, that you are a child of the day. Or if we use the words of Jesus in Luke 6, he says, Then you'll be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Then he says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And so that's how holiness finds expression. It shows itself in an earnest desire to do good to those around us. And then the final area that Paul speaks about with his instructions is our relationship with God and our worship of God, both public and private. You see, holiness includes a prayer-filled life. It includes obedience to God's revelation. Now here he mentions prophecies. And if you think of the book of Acts, God often revealed himself in, by prophets and prophetesses. But for us, having the, the full counsel of God's will, it's living in obedience to his revelation as it's revealed in God's word. And all of that, Paul says, he commands us to be filled with thankfulness and joy, be people of prayer. Once again, if you think of the Thessalonians from a human perspective, they had no reason to rejoice. They had no reason to be thankful and to have joy in their hearts. But Paul says, from a gospel perspective, you have every reason to joy, to, to, to rejoice. You are people whom God has called by his will. He, you are people whom God is making holy. You are people who are not destined for wrath, but because of God's grace, you are destined for eternal life. You're going to be with Christ when Christ returns. And so rejoice. It's not a joy, just a general sort of joy, but a joy in the Lord for the salvation that God has given. And that joy, well, it helps us to fulfill his next command, which is to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Be a praying Christian. May you be distinguished as someone who is on their knees. 
You see, his call here is not so much to get up in the morning, to get on your hands and knees and, and just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray until the end of the day and then go to bed and then do the same thing the next day. That's not what Paul is meaning by praying without ceasing. No, rather, he's, he's speaking about praying with total dependence of God, living in total dependence of God, having your thoughts where you're elevated and you're always thinking about God in some way, in whatever task that you're busy with. And so if we think of some examples, praying without ceasing might be as you're driving home from work, turning off the radio and just thinking, thinking about God and then praying to God about your day and how it went. And asking him to bless what was good or to forgive what was sinful. Or maybe it's those quick prayers and moments when something goes wrong. When you're at home with your kids and they're acting up. And you just give a quick prayer. Paul kind of gives an example of this. If you look at Paul's letters... Not just his letter to the Thessalonians, but his letter to the Ephesians, his letter to Timothy, both of his letters to Timothy, all of those letters, there's prayer that is punctuated throughout them. He often begins his letter with thanksgiving, thanking God for uh, the congregation and thanking God in his prayers. He mentions that. So if you think of verse 2 of chapter 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And then in chapter 3, he prays for them. He prays that they would abound in love. And that's not uncommon. He'll, he'll be discussing something and then he just bursts forth in praise. He'll be addressing them and he prays. And so in a way, he gives us a bit of a taste of what pray without ceasing looks like. It's having our lives punctuated by prayer at different moments and having our thoughts elevated towards God. Living with total dependence on him. And you see such dependence, and we're living so consciously of, of God, then that enables us to fulfill his next command, which is to be thank, uh, thankful in all circumstances, to give thanks. You see, notice how he says, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. And that's important because some things that happen to us are sinful. They're just wrong. And so his charge is not to give thanks for those things, but his charge is to give thanks in those things, in the midst of those things. His desire is that you have fellowship with God, that you are conscious of his control and acknowledging his control that regardless of where you're at, that you're able to thank him. That you're able to thank him for the way that he is at work in your life. And so, brothers and sisters, how is it with you? Are those words, words of prayer, thanksgiving, joy, are those things that characterize you as Christians? They characterize your relationship with God. Because Paul's vision for you, for your holiness, is that your relationship with God thrives, that you have joy, exceeding joy, that you be people of prayer, conscious that everything is dependent on God. And that you give thanks in all different circumstances. You see, God wants us to live in submission to him. Submission to his revelation as, it's, as his word is proclaimed even today. And to test it, to see it is from God. Holding fast to what is good. That is his vision for our relationship with God. 
You see, congregation, holiness, sanctification, it affects every area of life. The return of Christ, it motivates us to live blameless lives in relationship to our leaders, in relationship to one another, and also in relationship to God. It's expansive obedience. It's, it's holiness so that, that is expressed in the whole of our life. Now, brothers and sisters, if we look at those instructions, it can be discouraging for us. If we look at all those different commands, because think of those different areas. Think of the, the way that you interact with your elders and your deacons. You know, how often is it that we struggle to respect them? Or you butt up against their, their personalities? Or you think that you, know, you actually know how to do things better than they do? And so you find it hard to esteem them in love? Or think of your relationship with the people around you. Maybe there's people in Southern River that you just don't really get along with. And they get under your skin and you find it tough. Tough to, to really love them. Maybe you even avoid them or you avoid them because certain people have hurt you. And you've tried to give it over to God, but you bump into them and suddenly those feelings of bitterness and revenge, they all come back. And then there's our relationship with God. How often is our relationship with God something that we're disappointed with? How often are, are our hearts plagued with guilt because of our prayerlessness. You know, how many times don't situations, they rob us of our joy? Yes, no, one, no one's perfect. See, the glory of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is that it doesn't ultimately depend on us. You see, if we think back to that analogy of a, an Olympic runner, this is where it breaks down. Because when a runner is, is prepping for his race, ultimately if he wins, it comes down to his training, it comes down to his dieting, it comes down to his early mornings, all those things that he does. And it comes down to his determination, his, his perseverance, his willpower. But the glory of the gospel is that God's charge for us to be holy in every aspect of life, it doesn't ultimately just depend on us. But there's the beauty of Paul's prayer. Success, humanly speaking, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, end with us. That's what we confess in the canons of Dort. Ultimately, if it was up to us, we would fall away. We would fall from grace. If holiness depended on us, we would fail. And we experience that, don't we? We say to ourselves, tomorrow I'll do better. And then tomorrow comes around and we fail again. Tomorrow comes around and then we say, oh, next time I'll be kind to that person. And then we see them. And then we're not. And we see all those, and, and so all, all of that shows us how we just can't do it in our own strength. And that's the beauty of Paul's prayer here. Is that that holy, that complete life that God calls us to live Ultimately, it depends on God's grace and His faithfulness. It's only possible because of the gracious work of God. Verse 23, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, Paul prays, he calls on God to enable the Thessalonians to live in holiness, to live in the holiness that he's just outlined. Because ultimately, it is without God, they cannot do it. He is the one who sanctifies. And that's the profound comfort. And what is amazing, congregation, is that God, our triune God, He is active in securing and ensuring our sanctification, our being made holy. This was God's intention from the beginning. That's what Ephesians tells us. That before the foundations of the world, He chose us in Him so that we might be holy and blameless before Him. God the Father chose us so that we would be holy and perfect. And then God the Father, He sent God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ uh, who came and He lived that perfect life. He lived a life where he was, he was respectful, He esteemed others highly, where He cared and He had compassion for those around Him. Where He didn't repay evil with evil, but instead repaid evil with good. And then according to God's plan, He who was blameless, perfectly blameless, was offered on a cross for you. And so Christ died in your place as unholy people so that you would be blameless. Ephesians tells us that Christ, Paul uses the analogy about husbands and wives, and he says, what does Christ do? He died for his church so that she would be holy and radiant. This is what Paul says in in Colossians 1 verse 20. So Jesus, he died on the cross and it says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, that is Jesus, now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God the Father sent his Son because he wanted to make you holy. God the Son came to ensure that you would be holy because of his perfect holiness, to live that holy life. And then God the Holy Spirit, Jesus sent God the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to make you more and more holy, to apply all those things that Christ has done to you so that you can care for one another, that you grow in holiness in that area, so that you esteem those who are in leadership well, and so that you, in your your, uh, walk with God, that there is much joy, that there is thanksgiving. The thanks, thankfulness that Christ had becomes yours by the power of the Spirit. You see, God, in all His godness, is at work to make you holy and blameless. And that's the beauty. Because how often do we think that somehow God's purpose is going to be undone? How some part of us is going to be left unfinished? That Christ will suffer the full force of God's wrath... And somehow be left undone because of things that we do. And now that's the glory. Is that it's ultimately it's up to God. God is going to complete us wholly and completely. That's, a, that's the emphasis of Paul here. Notice he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In every aspect. And then he says, And may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of Christ. And what he's doing there, it's similar to what God says when he says, Love me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, love me completely. 
Love me in every aspect of your life. Love me to the core of your being. And so here the glory is, you have this complete whole, uh, you have this complete holiness that we are called to live. We're called to live holy in every aspect of life. And here God says, I am the one who will make you whole. Holy, holy in every aspect. I am the one that will make you total and complete, blameless. And so, congregation, we praise God. Because that's precisely what he's done. He does that. He's called Christ to die for us. Precisely to work that holiness in your life. So that when you stand before him, you will be perfect. Absolutely perfect at his coming. And now notice it's a prayer. He says, now may. And when he prays it, it's not just some sort of pie, you know, some sort of stab in the dark some sort of hopeful ambition that hopefully God will do this. And that's where verse 24 is so beautiful. He says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Ultimately, this is certain because of the faithfulness of God. Those whom God calls, he will make holy. He's not going to withdraw his call. He's not going to reject them. No, he's going to uphold them and do exactly what he's promised. When we think of faithfulness, faithful means being true to your word. Being true to what you have said, what you have promised to another person. A faithful faithful husband is a husband who is faithful to his vows. Well, brothers and sisters, God is faithful. He is true to his word. And because of his faithfulness, he will surely sanctify you. He will do it. What he starts, he will complete. He will cause you to persevere to the end. And he will keep you, soul, spirit, and body, blameless at the coming of Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, it's true. None of us are perfect. But the glory of the gospel is is that we will be. We will be perfect. We will be perfect without blame, without spot, without blemish, Because of God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And so press on. Live in holiness. Continue. Brothers and sisters here in Southern River. Continue to live holy lives before God. Leaning on his faithfulness. Looking to him. The God who will empower you to do so. Because he will do it. Because he is faithful. The grace. Brothers and sisters. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you all. Amen. Let's now sing hymn 52, verse 1 and 2.
In our congregational prayer this morning, we will bring before the Lord our brother Hank Hoovink, Hank and Ann Hoovink. So Hank has had some falls in, on his trip in Melbourne, and it's a bit concerning. They don't really know the reason why he's, he's falling so often, so let's bring before our brother in prayer before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, your word says, be holy as you are holy. Father, we recognize that this holiness includes every aspect of our lives, that it, it, it expresses itself in every relationship. Lord, you want our lives to reflect you. You desire that we would, that you who made us to be your image bearers may, be, may live in your likeness. Holy God, thank you that while you give us all these different commands, you do not leave us to do this in our own strength. Lord, thank you so much for your work in us, making us more and more holy in every area of of our life. Lord, you are sanctifying us. You are making us perfect until that day when we will be complete, wholly perfect at the return of Christ. Father, thank you for this. And Father, we thank you that you are God who cares for your people, that you keep your people. And so in this regard, we think of our brother, Hank Hoovink. Lord, it's concerning the fact that he's falling often, not sure the reason for that. Lord, we pray that you would sustain our brother, that you would watch over him. We thank you that you are a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, that you don't, you don't take a holiday, but you are a God who's near to us, that you are ever present to us. And so please be with our brother care for him, uphold him. And Lord, also may it, in due time, may they get more clarity around why he's, he's having these falls. Be with the rest of the Hooving family as this is quite worrying and we pray that you'd please watch over them and uphold them. Father, we also pray, I pray for the church here in Southern River. Thank you for their warmth. Thank you for their love. Thank you for their care that they have for one another. Thank you for the way that, that they desire to serve you. For their hunger for the gospel. And so Father, I pray, O oh God, that, that you'd please sanctify them completely. Let no part of their lives remain outside of the obedience to Christ. Apply to them all of Christ's perfection. Keep their whole spirit, their soul and body blameless. So that when Christ return, whether that's today, whether it's tomorrow or next year, that they may be perfect in every way. Father, please bless the elders and deacons and minister. Thank you for their servant hearts and the love that they have for the people under their charge and for their earnest desire to serve them well. Lord, please equip them. Please empower them so that they may serve effectively as your under-shepherds of Christ. Father, we ask that you would also bless our pastor, Reverend Poppy, that you would be with him and his wife and family as they, they have a holiday grant that it would be a refreshing time for them, a time that they would have much joy and relaxation so that he'd be refreshed, ready to come back and serve the people here that you have given to him, that you've placed under his charge. And Lord, we pray that there would be much harmony and much peace between the congregation and the leadership. Father, bless also the fellowship of this congregation. Lord, may their love abound more and more. May they be a people known by their labor of love, work of faith, and steadfast hope. And may their kindness be shown to all. Lord, we also pray that you would enrich their relationship that they have with you. 
Lord, we thank you that you are God of relationship, that you've entered into a relationship with us. And Lord, may their hearts be filled with joy, a joy that is inexpressible. And may their lives be characterized by thankfulness, not just in certain circumstances, but every circumstance. And may they look to you in all situations, praying without ceasing in humble dependence on you. Father, dwell richly in their hearts, that they, being rooted and grounded in you, may have strength to comprehend the breadth, the width, the depth, and the height of your love for them, that they may know the love of Christ, really know it, a love that surpasses all knowledge, and that they be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, be with your flock here. Hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You now have a, an opportunity to give of your offerings to the Lord, and the, the offerings for this morning is for the mission work in P&G.
Receive the blessing of the triune God who will sanctify you completely. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Ethan, if you want to come up here. And I don't know where Katrina is. Katrina, you better come up here too.